0: Well, last week, which wasn't really last week, I guess, two weeks ago, uh, we began a new series in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's been about five years since I preached through the catechism, almost exactly. It was in February that I started it um, five years ago, the last time I started the series. Of course, it takes a couple of years to go through. So. But uh, we started five years ago with these questions we're on now. So what we're doing here is really a refresher of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. We have uh, a refresher for some of us who, who have been through it before, and it's also um, an introduction for some of our, our new members that have not yet been through the catechism, and for some of our children that were too young to remember going through at that time. So very thankful that we can do this together once again. It's always good to refresh ourselves in the basic doctrines of our faith so that we can grow in, in, in them. Last week, we looked at how, in his word, that God calls us to catechize. We saw that the word catechize comes from a Greek word, katecheo, that is used in the Bible. And it's often translated to teach or instruct. And the kind of teaching and instruction that it often refers to is a teaching in the rudiments of the faith, where you're grounding people in the basics of the things that they need to believe. We looked at lots of examples in both the Old and New Testaments where it is stressed that this kind of instruction is necessary. Not that the word "catecheo" is used all that often, but that the kind of instruction that we call catechesis is, uh, is called for. That's something that Christians need to receive. Moses was asked to do this kind of instruction and we have it all through the scriptures. It enables God's people to walk with Christ for Christ and his salvation must be known if we're going to walk with him. We have to know who he is and what he's done. And it enables us to be rooted in him so that we won't be uprooted by false teaching. We have a basic understanding of our faith and uh, to be built up in him so that we can grow and bear fruit as we understand his commandments, his will for us, how we're to live, how we're to worship. Those are the things that we go through when we go through the catechism, and then we saw also that it enables us to be thankful because as we gain an understanding of, of the, the things that God has done for us and the way he's called us to live, it fills us with gratitude to our God so that we can worship him better. So um, today we're going to begin with question one of the catechism. Now, you can find a copy of the catechism on the on the back table there if you need one. And uh, I strongly encourage you to memorize the answer to the questions as we go along. I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll be doing approximately one question a week. So it shouldn't be difficult if you keep up with it. And we'll have times like last week when we miss a week, and I'll give you catch-up days. And uh, so I encourage you very much to do that. Let's confess then, as we're gathered here, the answer to the first question. Okay, we did this when we went through the catechism before. I'll ask the question, and then together as a congregation, and me also, we will all answer the question. So question one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Okay, now here is an essential question of life. What is the chief end of man? What does this mean? It's asking what our main purpose in life ought to be. What is the best thing? What is the most important thing that you can live for? What should you devote your life to? A lot of people have never even thought about that. Never even occurred to them to think about that. They're just going along. You know, a lot of people, it's sort of like life is sort of like a river and you're just kind of drifting along on your inner tube or whatever, you know, going down and going along. And wherever the current goes, you just kind of go along. Whatever people are thinking, you think. Whatever they're doing, you do. Whoever you're with, whatever's going on. Going to a fast place, slow place. You're just, uh, just bopping along. Some people don't even think that there is any purpose in life. That's one of our main problems today is that people think, oh, well, you know, I don't really think there's any purpose. We're just here and we just kind of have fun and we just sort of try to make the best of it and do what we want. And then we're gone. And that's the end of it. The truth is, if you miss the purpose of life, then you end up wasting your whole life. You'd feel sorry for... Poor fellow that had a a wad of hundred dollar bills, and maybe you know he was a foreigner or something, he didn't know what they were, and he was using his credit card, you know, for all his transactions, and he had this wad of hundred dollar bills he got somehow. He said, and and he started using it for for packing material, you know, to send uh, send packages out. He'd wad them up and stick them in a uh, a package and send it off. And you you'd feel sorry for that guy. Why? Because he missed the whole purpose of what those hundred dollar bills could be used for, and he wasted them. But how much worse was it to be given life and to waste your whole life, to spend it on something that's not worthwhile to only be here one time and only maybe for, you know, 70, 80 years, maybe, maybe 90 or 100 even very short time. And then it's gone. And you can't get the life back. You can't retrieve it. There's no way to come back. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Somebody misses their purpose and they go after all the things that they want to have in this world. And then they're gone. They're not gone. They're just gone somewhere else. And then they have to face judgment and they wasted their whole life. What you do here counts for all eternity. That's a huge thing when we're thinking about our purpose. So the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the best thing that I can pursue, that I can aim for? What, what is the chief end of man? It is very, very important. The answer that, that the catechism gives is also an obvious answer the chief end of man is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever what else what else is there to do god made us that's the reason that we're here we're here for him everything is for his glory i came to realize that when i was in university i was not uh, uh truly converted Christian, I, I was Christian outwardly, nominally, but I, I hadn't really come to saving faith. But I knew I knew that God had made me. And things were going pretty well for me in university at that time. And I was in a career choice that I wanted to go into and I was doing well in that. There were tons of jobs in that area and there were really good paying jobs. All the things that I always wanted in life we're all falling right into place beautifully. And that's what tripped me to realize the problem. Because I thought, if I get all those things that I want, it's not going to be any different. I'm still not going to have anything that's really worthwhile. I won't be any, I'll get used to it and it'll be just like it is now. It won't really, it won't really in the end mean anything. And I realized that there could only be one reason to live, and that's for God, if he made us. I didn't know quite how to live for him or what that was all about, but God opened my heart so that I came to that conclusion. I began to go about looking for how do I get to know God, and I asked people about that around the campus because that's what we're made for. And really, it's obvious, isn't it? The only reason it became obvious is because God opened my heart. Because I was blind as anyone else before that. But where else can true and lasting happiness be found if not in the one that made us? I mean, his supremacy, his surpassing excellence, his love and his grace, his purity, his wisdom, his truth, his justice. We, we can explore and admire him for all eternity. This is the only place... God is the only place that your soul can find true and lasting satisfaction. Everything else that you go after is going to turn up empty after a while. It's going to wear out. It's going to be empty. You will only be frustrated with lesser things if God is not the chief object of your desire. We should feel sorry for those who are not living for him and enjoying him as their chief end. Because they're on a road to misery. I don't care how great things they may attain in this world. The people that attain the most are the ones who are the most unhappy. Because when you get more, you realize that this too is empty. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and you can see that, how Solomon testifies to that. But if it's obvious that our chief end, our purpose... Here it is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Why doesn't everyone agree? Why are there so many people that don't, don't agree with that? It's because we don't want to accept this truth. Romans one twenty eight says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want to keep thinking about God. Not the real God. Maybe another kind of God, like a lesser, but not the real God that made everything. 121 says although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but because their but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened it explains how they began to worship created things instead of the creator after that because they didn't want to think about the true God who's over all things it was no, I don't want to go there. It's too much, too much on my life, too much demand. I'm going to just I'm going to think about the creature, the created things. Maybe I'll worship angels or something or I'll worship, you know, demons or or whatever. It is. I'm going to worship other things. I'm going to worship money. I'm going to worship whatever it might be, because they didn't want to 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 deal with God. So it's not that people don't know about God in his glory. And that he ought to be worshipped and glorified as the one in whom we and the one that we find all our delight. It's rather that they, as verse 18 says, suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. They suppress it. They don't want to think about it. They don't live for God, even though they know that they should. They don't do it because they don't want to do it. The idea of living for him is repulsive to them. But why? Why do they not want to give him the honor and glory that is his due? And to find joy in the only place they can find it? Because Satan led us into rebellion. There's something wrong with us because we're fallen into sin. Satan enticed us to live for ourselves instead of God. We're not God. How can you live for yourself? How can you make the rules? He enticed us. You decide what you want. Don't listen to him. He tells you you can't eat that tree. Yes, you can. You go eat that tree if you want to eat that tree. You do what you want. Don't have anybody else telling you what to do. What kind of talk is that? God is God. We're just creatures. We're his his creatures. The whole human race followed Satan into that rebellion. Romans 5.12 and following talks about that. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden, you know, when when Adam ate the forbidden fruit. He was declaring by that very act that he would decide what was right for him, not God. And then we all fell with Adam. So God sentenced us to bondage and judgment. We died. God said, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. We became dead in our trespasses and sins. It talks about that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We became condemned to the pit forever. Our sin was that serious because it was renunciation of the whole world order. It was treason, not against an earthly king, that kings that come and go, but treason against the most high God who made us. It was it was a terrible thing. It was, it was serious enough for eternal punishment. We find that hard to admit. But it doesn't make it not true. Just because we find it hard to admit. This rejection spoiled everything and it made us vile and obnoxious in God's eyes. Subject to condemnation. To be dead in sin is a terrible bondage. And that's what God did to us. We, we spiritually died. Spiritual death it makes us reject God the god of this world we're told satan has blinded the minds of those that do not believe second corinthians 4, 4. but how is it that there are some who do acknowledge the obvious truth that god is our chief end and that enjoying glorifying god is our chief end and that, glor- and that enjoying him is the purpose we ought to have forever the scripture tells us that god has chosen a people to rescue for himself, not because they in any way deserve it. But in a sure act of mercy, Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He calls these people out of the darkness and sin of this world to be his people, to see that he's God again. And then to walk with him as God, to serve him and enjoy him as God. And his promise, you see, is just simple. I will be your God. And you will be my people. So we're restored to God as our God. That's what he does. They will be restored to him and they will acknowledge that he is their chief end because they'll see him as he is. And they'll enjoy him forever. They return to him as their God and they treat him as God ought to be treated. The one to whom all glory and honor belongs. God himself redeems them. God the Father chooses them and appoints them to be saved. God the Father sends his son to come in their flesh as one who as a man lives to glorify and enjoy God so that man glorifying and enjoying God becomes a real thing that's done again. And the father sends the son to go to the cross to die for those that he has chosen to bear their sins and the punishment that's due to them so they can be forgiven. And then he calls them to repent and believe in his son. He calls them by sending his spirit to open their eyes to see their sin and to see how Christ is the only savior and that they may turn from their sin to Christ in order that they might be reconciled to God. To God is their God and that they might glorify God. And enjoy him forever. God has commanded us to preach the good news of restoration to him in Christ. The message is that whoever will turn to God and come to Christ for forgiveness and reconciliation will be redeemed. Simple words, repent and believe the gospel. We're forgiven through the death of Jesus and we're renewed by the spirit. To live for God, restored to God as our God, to our chief purpose, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What a wonderful gospel that is. What good news that is, that we're to tell all the world there is a way to come back to your chief end, your your main purpose. But now, once you have come to Christ in faith and been restored to God as your God, how can you then go about glorifying and enjoying Him? What is involved in glorifying and enjoying God? Hey, well, You glorify and enjoy God, first of all, by looking upon His glory with delight. That's one of the best things you can do. We love to look at beautiful things, spectacular things, marvelous things, excellent things, interesting things. God is all that, so much multiplied over anything that we look at in this world. And so we're to look upon him. You remember Moses, he saw a whole lot of God. He he was one that was privileged to to see so many things revealed of God. And what what was it that he said? Show me your glory. He wanted to see still more because he saw this is where it's at. You know, when you taste something that's good and delightful, you want to see more and you want to see more. Well, that, that was Moses. There, there is in God such majesty and glory, such goodness and love and beauty that we want to see more. And where do we now behold God's glory? I preached on this back at Christmas time. Where, where do we behold his glory most of all? It's in Jesus Christ. He's the express image of his person. He's the brightness of his glory. Hebrews 1. We, beheld, we, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by looking at him, at Christ, as he is revealed to us when he came here to redeem us. He shows the Father to us. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John says in John 1.14, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to see grace? Look at what we talked about this morning. The Son of God who condescends and comes here to die because of His great love for His people. See love and mercy there like nowhere else. You see justice there like nowhere else. That He had to bear our sins. He had to be cursed for us. Look upon His glory then with delight. That's the first thing for glorifying and enjoying God. What, what delight you'll find. Okay. Second, you glorify and enjoy God by praising him for his glory and goodness. God says, Psalm fifty twenty three, whoever offers praise glorifies me. In our praise, we speak to God of his excellence. We declare to him our love and our admiration and delight in him. And I tell you, that increases your enjoyment of him. You know how that is with other people. If you talk to them about the things that you appreciate, that they've done, things like that, it actually makes you more joyful in them. And such praise also includes thanksgiving, where you thank God for all that he's done, for his saving work and for his creation of the world and all the things that he's given us, what he's done for your soul. You praise him for his wonderful works and for his mercies to the children of men that are new every day. That honors him, that glorifies him, talking to him about his excellence. It gives you great joy in doing so. Third, you glorify and enjoy God by telling others of him. You know how much you love to tell people about the things that you love. You know, you, you, you get a, a fiance and you want to tell everybody about that. Hey, look at who I met. You know, you, you put up pictures and you talk about it, your new car, your new clothes, your favorite hockey player. There's things that we glory in above all, you should speak to others about your God, of his beauty, his excellence, what he's done for you. Psalm 145, six to seven. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Think, think of things. Like, here is the Most High God. He, there's nothing. He says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. That's our God. What marvelous things He is able to do. He made all of these things. He designed all of these things. In science, we explore and we discover and we learn. We don't glorify God by making Him more glorious. We can't do that. But what we do when we talk of his glory is we point to the glory that is there. What better way than to tell of Christ and urge people to look upon him as we spoke about before, that they might see in him the mercy and love and grace and the fullness and justice and holiness and power of God revealed in Christ. Fourth You glorify and enjoy God by receiving his ordinances. He has appointed the word for us to learn of him and his ways, the sacraments to strengthen us in order that we may serve him and invigorate us, prayer by which we call upon his name. We are to receive the word at church and in our families and individually, in our personal study and meditation, do you get excited about that? Do you read something and say, I want to remember this? And you, you write it down so you can come back and look at it. Like you do other things. You find something you're, you know, I don't know, you're doing somewhere on the internet and you find something interesting, you mark it and you go back and look at it again. Do you do that when you look at the Word? Or you just kind of say, like, oh, I've got to read the Word. And then you're done and you go on. See, this is, this is what we're talking about. Using these ordinances in a way that is really significant. We, we receive the, these things at church, you know, and in our families, in our personal study. And we also do prayer in those same venues. Moses said this of God's ordinances in Deuteronomy 4. He said, therefore, be careful to observe them. Make sure that you do the things, the ordinances of God. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as in all this law, which I set before you today is you live out the ordinances in the ordinances of God. The people around us are going to see God working among us and it's going to bring glory to God as they look upon him. How it honors him to be joyful and faithful in receiving those ordinances. Make it a regular habit to feed on him in the way that he has appointed. Jesus is the bread of life. There's no better bread, no more important bread for you to eat. He gives the water of life when we ask and we never thirst. The wells of salvation never run dry. Now, Sometimes we may find that our souls are dry. I had a time like that, even this this past week when I was just struggling and grappling. And then God began to bring the waters again. Fifth, you glorify and enjoy God by obeying him. When we obey the commandments of God, we glorify him by showing that he is indeed our God and that we are his servants. You know what it says in Romans that you can tell who servants you are by who you obey. So, you know, I've talked about like the, the cool kid at school or something. Everybody's copying the cool kid. They do what he thinks is important and what he says you shouldn't do, you don't do. And what he says you should do, you do, do. Oh, oh I couldn't I couldn't wear those kind of shoes because, you know, it goes against what the cool kid would think. And, you know, that that kind of thing. But we, we do this with God. You see, we, we come to him and we, we look at what pleases him and we orient our lives around him. That brings honor to him rather than some individual Whose servant are you? Who do you serve? Not only that, but when you obey, you show the beauty of his ways. Obeying God is the same thing as living beautifully. (laughs) You know, when you truly obey him, it means loving each other the way Christ loved us. That's beautiful. Everybody can see beauty in love. It means loving God and pouring out your life for him like Jesus did. That's beautiful. It honors the father. Obedience always honors the fruit of obedience is beautiful. It glorifies God. Jesus, did he not say, Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your father who is in heaven. When well, they see how you live, it's his people. And did Paul not say, Ephesians two ten, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's workmanship is our lives renewed by the power of God's grace to live in love and beauty. Seventh, you glorify and enjoy God by trusting in and relying on him. Trusting in him shows that you regard him to be faithful. You know, if you see children with their parents and they're all kind of afraid of their parents and they're not comfortable to talk to them, then doesn 't really honor the parent it shows something wrong there, but if you see them trusting and, and comfortable and at ease with their parents knowing that, that they care for them, wanting to please them, then that that changes the way it, it, it honors it honors them it honors God for you to rest securely in him as one that you can rely on and that you know has your best in mind. Jesus tells us not to be anxious. For the things that we need to have in this world. He says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. We're told that a, a quiet spirit like we looked at this morning, Psalm 131. What does it say about it in first Peter three? It says that a quiet spirit, meek and quiet spirit is very precious In the sight of the Lord. Why? We love to see our children. Resting comfortably. Knowing that we care for them. That we love them. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Ninth you glorify and enjoy God by fearing him. You do this when you recognize that he is the judge of all. That he is not to be trifled with. When you bow before his majesty and justice and tremble at his word. How does that go together with what I was just talking about? With resting and trusting securely in him? It it goes together like this. If you have the God who can melt down whatever he wants to melt down, who can dissolve whatever he wants to dissolve. He has all that power so that you, you fear that power in one way. But then you know that in his grace, he's promised to be committed to you. Then all that power is for your protection and care. So fearing God brings a deeper trust and joy and security. This idea of fearing God is something that's been lost on this generation. We have no sense of what it is to delight in glorious majesty that's high above us. Because we've been taught that if there's power that's over you and above you, it's going to be trying to take advantage of you. It's something that you want to avoid and stay away from. You don't want anybody to have more power. And you can see that maybe with people to a certain extent. But we need to see it with God. Because God is just and holy and good. This is spoken of a lot in the last book of the Bible. For example, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue and people and saying with a loud voice, fear God. And give glory to him. If we don't fear God, we don't think that God's a big deal. We don't recognize who he is. We ignore him. We walk away from him and then we can't enjoy him. And we can't glorify him. So this angel preaching the gospel, fear God. And give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So that gives you an idea then of what it means to glorify and enjoy God. Of how we go about that is to devote your life to his glory and to find your joy in him. This is the only thing worthwhile to have as your chief end, your ultimate purpose in all of life. So now I would ask you, what is your purpose in life. What are you actually living for? Really think about that. What do I live for? What, what really matters to me at the end of the day? What are you committed to? Is it making a good impression on other people? You just want other people to admire you. So whatever you do, so other people will admire you. Is it being successful? You want to achieve things? You don't really care whether people admire you necessarily. You want to beat them. You want to do better than everybody else. You want to be at the top. You want to win. You want to go after something and achieve it. Go after another thing. Even your relationships are more like conquests than that you really care about the other people. You want to see if you can establish that relationship. You're trying to be successful. Or maybe it's to be well-liked. You, know, popular. you want to be. You want everybody to say, oh, you know, what a nice person. And so then you'll do things that are contrary to God because people might not like it. Being liked is more important than glorifying God. Maybe it's avoiding pain and trouble. You're always trying to escape, to protect yourself, make sure that nothing comes that's going to hurt you in some way. Instead of saying, hey, if God brings trouble to me when I'm serving him, then that will be for his glory, too. And I can enjoy him in fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. But no, no, I've got to protect myself. I've got to make sure nothing happens. I've got to seal myself off so you don't don't do things that God has called you to do. Or maybe it's pleasure. I just want to have fun. I don't want to worry about any of this stuff. I just want to go and just be free and just do stuff and do what I want when I want to do it. So therefore, when God calls you to do something, oh well, that won't be any fun. I want to do something else. Maybe it's vengeance. That's an ugly one. But some people are just bitter, and they want to get back at other people. They want to give a dick every time someone says something. They have poisoned darts that they throw at them, and they they gossip about people, and they they complain, and they go they they go on and complain about God. There's bitterness just. They wouldn't say, oh, my purpose is to, to but that's what it really is. To, it's bitterness, vengeance, getting, getting back at people. Certainly, a Christian may struggle with giving into you know, all of these things, giving them an improper place in our lives that they ought not to have. But if, if any of these things are your chief end that I just mentioned and others like them, then you're not Christ's disciple. You don't really belong to him. He told us that we can't serve two masters because in time we're going to hate one and serve the other when push comes to shove. If, for example, you live, I mentioned this before, if you live to avoid conflict, you'll stop serving Christ when people oppose you. The parable of the sower, persecution comes, I'm out of here. If you live for pleasure, you turn to the pleasures when... It inter- when Christ interferes, you don't follow him. But but if you have come to Christ for his salvation, then you have indeed taken it as your chief end to glorify and enjoy God. forever. You don't do it very well as you should. But that's still at the bottom of the day, at the end of the day. That's what you're about when it comes down to it. If you go off on the wrong track and you put something else in the place of importance that belongs to God, Then you repent of that after you realize what you've done, you're ashamed and you come back, you get back on track following God. If you're a new creation in Christ, you may go away for a while, but if you're truly in Christ, you'll come back. So if you are then, if you are one who has come to Christ, you've given your life to to him, he's your God, you're one of his people. Then I ask you, then, how are you doing at it? Are you keeping this purpose before you? Is the Lord always before you? We actually sang Psalm 16 a while ago, the Lord always before my face. Are you living for God in your work? You know, to think about God in your decisions at work. You're living for God in your recreations. Living for God in your relationships. In your use, the use of your money and your time. Do you say, hey, man, I got to I got to buy this. I got to get this or do you say, how can I please God with my money? And if buying that thing doesn't please him because there's something else that he's called you to do with your money, then you don't buy that thing because you're doing it for God. That's the difference. Everything, all everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. So what changes do you need to make? How much are you thinking about this? Are you eager to find out what pleases God and then to follow through with that? You finding your joy in serving Him? There's great joy in serving Him. I mentioned this earlier. Like If, if you're serving God, those are the happy people, the ones that are giving their life to God. They may have many sorrows in this world, but there's a, there's a deep joy in knowing that you're fulfilling the purpose that you have. If you're coming short... <laughs> If you're coming short. <laughs> of course, you're all coming short. We all come short of the glory of God. Then confess your sin. If you see if you see where you're coming short, confess your sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to help you change so that you can be more about what your chief purpose is rather than stuff that doesn't really matter. You can be more serious and focused on the fact that you're here for him. And finding your joy in Him. The whole catechism is aimed at helping you at glorifying and enjoying God. It tells you the things that you need to know about God to glorify and enjoy Him. In the earlier part of the catechism, about how He speaks to us, who He is. It tells you the things that God has done for you in Christ, so that you can glorify Him and delight in His saving work. It tells you the things that He has promised to do, so that you can give Him glory for those future blessings that you're that you hope for, that you believe he's going to bring you. It teaches you about keeping God's commandments so that you can honor him and find joy in obeying him. And it teaches you how to use the means of grace, the word, sacraments and prayer by which we draw near to God so that we may glorify and enjoy him. So as we go through the catechism, let's devote ourselves more and more to glorifying and enjoying God forever strive to do all that you do for him please stand and let's ask him for his help gracious heavenly father indeed we do not have to have revelation from your word to know that our chief end is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever We know that by virtue of our very existence as your creation. We all know that we are your creation if we don't suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and become blind, unable to see. Father, I pray that you would you would help us, Lord, to to truly live according to what we know is true. That we would give you the glory that is due to your name. And that we would find our our joy in you, Father, that that old rebellion is such a it's such a a terrible thing that that we have such a destructive thing, Lord, that this sin, this corruption, what Paul called this body of death that's still in us. And Father, it causes us to go after things that are not worthwhile and to ignore you. And our very reason for, for being, our very reason for living, to miss our purpose, to go off doing things that are completely not worthwhile. Oh, Lord, what will it make? What difference will it make in a thousand years if we had a big house or if everybody liked us or if we achieved some great Something or another in this world. What difference will it make in a thousand years? What difference will it make in a million years? Father, we are eternal beings. And we're meant for an eternal purpose. And Father, Satan has blinded the children of this world. Blinded the minds of those that don't believe. Father, let the light of your gospel shine. So that we can see the truth and know the truth. And Father, help us. Who, who do know you, Lord, we struggle with the body of death. We struggle that we still have that corruption and death in us that keeps us from our purpose. Father, we pray that we would put all that to death, that body of death to death, and that we would come before you, Lord, and, and, and serve you as our God. Oh, Lord, be to us our God and make us to be your people. Lord, we desire this. We know it's the right thing. Help us then to do it and to live it out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.